<clears throat> Have you ever lost anything? Anybody ever lost their keys? Anybody ever lose your wallet? It's okay. We can be on your phone. I know the teenagers have all lost a phone at some point. Maybe your homework. Have you ever, or a term paper, or a big project where you have worked for hours on the computer and you, you save it and it didn't save, it just goes away into cyberspace? Has that happened to you? Yeah. Gone. Lost. Never to be found again. How about the littles? Kids, where are my kids at? Have you ever lost anything? Have you lost a toy? Who's lost their favorite toy? Yeah. Anybody ever lose, like, your maybe your blanket or the wubby or whatever it is that you had? Um, I, I have driven many a mile to get a little stuffed tiger before. Um, your, your favorite shirt. How do you feel when you lose something? Even things that, I mean, you feel bad when you lose your wallet. You feel bad, you know, when you lose your keys for a while. But even things that aren't significant... We, we feel bad sometimes when we lose them, and, and sometimes we think that, you know, if only I'd taken better care uh, of that item, and, and we start to get on ourselves for not paying attention to, to what's important and to what was lost. You know, in our world and in our lives, we will experience loss. We will experience loss a lot in our lives. And today, as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I want to show you how we can experience God through life when we experience loss. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come to this time of celebration where we, we look at your word, we look at the example of those who have come before us. Uh, I pray now, Lord, that you'll, you'll open our hearts, you'll, you'll just widen our gaze upon your word, uh, that we can apply it to our lives, that we can understand that even in a time of loss, uh, small loss or great loss, we can still experience you because of what your son has done for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The question is often asked, what is a man's life made up of? One person said a man's life is made up of 20 years of his mother asking him where he's going, 50 years of his wife asking him where he's been. <laughs> the people who have been married longer are laughing harder, see, because they know. You guys are engaged, they're like, what are they talking about? You get... and, <laughs> and then there's always that one hour at his funeral when everyone wonders where he's gone. That's, that's what a man's life is made up of. <laughs> that's kind of where we're going to go today. We're going to begin, and hopefully you will see when, when Jesus was taken down from the cross, he was placed in his tomb, and his, his closest friends and his followers were at a loss. They, they didn't really know what to do or where to go. They really weren't even sure what was happening, some of them. And uh, they, they were just at a loss. I, I think they would be safe to say they were in a state of shock. They were in a place of, of just misunderstanding and, and confusion, not sure even what to do next. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at that place of just loss? You, you just couldn't even move because you just were trying to register what was going on. Maybe you got word that you lost a job unexpectedly or that, that you were in a car wreck or someone you loved has, has wrecked a car bad. Maybe you lost your marriage or you lost a loved one to a disease and it just in registering that, you just didn't know how to react or what to do. And during that time, you're wondering, where's God? How, how can I get through this? How can I experience God during this time of loss? It's, it's so unfair. It's so devastating. I'm alone. I have nothing. Well, for starters, we can experience God through loss when we make sure that we're obedient. I want to talk about that for just a second because the women who, who were around Jesus when, when he died, in their loss, the women were obedient. 
uh, one thing they were obedient in was obeying the Sabbath. I'm going to start off with Luke chapter 23, verses 50 through 56. Luke 23, 50 through 56. Um, some of it will be over here on my right. The Bible says, And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen cloth and he laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. They then, re they, then they returned and prepared spices and perfume and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. You see, because they were obedient, not only to honoring the traditions and, and honoring the Sabbath, they had prepared all the spices, they knew the Sabbath was coming, so they rested, they, they stopped. They were obedient followers of Jesus as well. You see, because of that, they were some of the first to see the resurrected Lord. But in their loss, they recognized Him. That's the thing I want you to draw from. In their loss, they recognized their Messiah in the garden. And specifically, I want to talk about Mary for just a second. In, chap in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, the Bible says, Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary? She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I, am, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Did you see that? When, when Jesus said her name, Mary, she recognized him. In her loss, in her obedience during that time of loss, she recognized Jesus this reminds me of what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 16. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired man and not a shepherd is not the owner of the sheep. Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with the shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. I'm convinced that we are too easily distracted in our world, in the rush of this world that we live in. There's so many choices, there's so many distractions, there, there's so many things that demand our time and our attention. 
Did you hear verses 14 through 16 there? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. They will become one flock with one shepherd. The disciples, the women, those who followed Jesus have been scattered and confused after this. Confused by his arrest, confused by his trial, witnessing the physical punishment that he endured in his death on the cross. But when the women went to the tomb out of obedience, out of, even out of somewhat of tradition, they saw that the stone was rolled away. And Mary in her loss heard the voice of the good shepherd and she knew it was Jesus. And she went and told the others. Sadly, it seems that we only hear what we want to hear. And we often completely tune out the voice of our Lord. We don't always take the time to hear his voice. Maybe uh, we don't really have as trusting a relationship with Jesus as we think we do. You see, Mary was distracted. She was distracted with grief. She was distracted with the job of, of bringing in the spices to preserve Jesus' body. She was in loss mode. But when he spoke her name, when she heard his voice, she knew it was him. She knew because it, he was a priority to her. How much time do you set aside for the one you call Savior? How much time do you spend with the one you call Lord? Do you hear His voice? Are you really tuned in to hear His voice? I think the following story will help to explain what I'm trying to say. There were two men walking down the sidewalk in New York. It was very crowded. And one of the men remarked, Do you hear the cricket? That's such a great sound. The other man couldn't hear the cricket at all. He said, how, how can you hear the sound of a cricket amongst the roar of traffic and the sounds of the city? The first man was a zoologist. He had trained himself to hear the sounds of nature wherever he was. He didn't really explain to his friend how he could hear the sound of the cricket. Instead, he reached into, into his pocket and he pulled out a 50-cent piece. And he dropped it on the sidewalk and watched as a dozen people looked to see the coin and where it had come from. Amongst the sounds of the traffic in the city... He turned to his friend and he said, We hear what we listen for. Brother and sisters, we hear what we listen for. So are you tuned into the voice of Jesus? Are you tuned into our world? Do you really seek his voice? What exactly are you listening for today? We hear what we want to hear. Knowingly or unknowingly, we all make choices of who it is we're listening to. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. He doesn't say we could hear his voice or that we should hear his voice or that we might hear his voice. He says, the scripture is very clear, he says, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep. I, I know this may sound strong, but I think it needs to be said, if you're not hearing his voice, then you're probably not walking in his will. So what is God's will for each of us? How, how can I know his will? What does it mean when we say we want to know the will of God? To know his will it's to say that we want to discern. We want to understand. We want to know His plan for our life. We want His guidance in our decisions so we can make wise choices. Here's how it breaks down. Knowing the voice of God results in finding the will of God. And finding the will of God results in experiencing God even during a time of loss in your life. You can be assured that God wants you to know His will. In her loss, Mary was obedient. When Jesus told her to go and tell the disciples that He was alive, she went and did just that. That speaking of the disciples, let's talk about them for a second. How did they do with experiencing God through loss? 
They scattered. They left. They didn't really know what to do. They went back to what they knew. Uh, they, were, they were at a loss, just like Mary. Uh, they were confused. Everything happened so quickly. Think about this. One minute they're part of a parade of people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. The next minute they're listening to Jesus talk to them about his death and remembering him and, and that one of their own would betray him. The next minute they're hearing the people shout the words, crucify him. And then he's been badly beaten and nailed to the cross. During this time the sky goes dark, the temple curtain tears. Their friend, their rabbi, their teacher has now become their Messiah. Talking about drinking from a fire hose. These guys had a week that we just could never imagine. They scattered. They didn't know what to do. So they went back to the known. They found comfort in what they knew. They found comfort in the known. They gathered together and they, they regrouped, so to, so to speak. They were just seeking comfort and understanding, trying to understand what had just happened. We do the same thing. You come home from a hard day at work and instead of, of seeking to experience God through that, we... We go and, and have a couple of after-work cocktails to take the edge off. We have an argument with our spouse about something. We go back to the, the known comfort of our computer or our smartphone or an old friend. Instead of talking it out, we, we call our buddy from the gym. We look to experience Facebook and Twitter and other things on the Internet rather than experience God through a difficult time with our family or, or with our job or in our life. We go back to the known all the time. It's one of the reasons that we, we reconnect with old friends and girlfriends and boyfriends and it's one of the reasons that social media is such a hot item right now. It seems easier for us to find comfort in those momentary things than to take the time to seek out and experience God and His comfort during a time of loss. The disciples, they, they were scared. They were hiding. They, they found comfort in knowing they were all together. Misery loves company. And they were, they were kind of miserable at this point. They found comfort in knowing that they were all together. But their comfort in the known turned to trust in what was unknown. And then they were able to experience God in the loss. Look at Luke chapter 24 verses 8 through 12. They remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported... That was the women, by the way. Returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene... And Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, also the other women with them, were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. So he goes from this moment of confusion, of loss, of not knowing what to happen next, and when, when Peter... Sees the linen wrappings only. I love that verse. He, he goes away to his home, marveling at what had happened. I think it was at this point where Peter began to experience God in the loss. I can only speculate how, how he started putting things together, how maybe the last three years of his life just came whoosh, kind of flooding back. As he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened, next week we're going to look at what that was like for him, and we're going to talk about experiencing God through forgiveness. But what about you? How do you experience God through loss? Allow me to really help you wrap your mind around this whole Resurrection Sunday and, and experiencing God in the loss in a little bit of a different way. If Christ would have died in our time, in our present, you may have read his obituary in the newspaper. Actually, you would have read it this past Friday. I imagine it might sound something like this. 
obituaries. Jerusalem, 33 A.D., Calvary. Jesus Christ, 33 of Nazareth, died Friday on Mount Calvary, also known as Golgotha, the place of the skull. Betrayed by Judas, Jesus was crucified by the Romans by order of the ruler Pontius Pilate. The causes of death were extreme exhaustion, severe torture, and loss of blood. Jesus Christ, a descendant of Abraham, was a member of the house of David. He was the son of the late Joseph, a carpenter of Nazareth, and Mary, his devoted mother. Jesus was born in a stable in the city of Bethlehem, Judea. He is survived by his mother Mary, his faithful apostles, numerous disciples, and many other followers. Jesus was self-educated and spent most of his adult life working as a teacher. He also occasionally worked as a medical doctor. It is reported that he healed many patients. Up until the time of his death, Jesus was teaching and sharing the good news, healing the sick, touching the lonely, feeding the hungry, and helping the poor. Jesus was most noted for telling parables about his Father's kingdom and performing miracles such as feeding over 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish and healing a man who was born blind. On the day before his death, he held a last supper celebrating the Passover feast which he at which he foretold his death. His body was quickly buried in a stone grave which was donated by Joseph of Arimathea, a loyal friend of the family. By order of Pontius Pilate, a boulder was rolled in front of the tomb and Roman soldiers were put on guard. In lieu of flowers, the family has requested that everyone try to live as Jesus did and donations may be sent to anyone in need. Now, this illustration was actually sent to a pastor named Terry Blankenship by several well-meaning church members. And he says as he, as, he previewed, as, he, as he reviewed the item and he read through it, he said, it hit me that there were a number of inaccuracies listed here. And he said that he seemed they might have been overlooked. And so I want to consider those with you. He says, first of all, the causes of death were extreme exhaustion, severe torture, and loss of blood. That's wrong. That's wrong. The cause of death, it was my sin and your sin. That's what caused his death. He willingly gave his life for us that we might have a relationship with him. Then it says he was the son of the late Joseph, a carpenter of Nazareth. It's also incorrect. He was not the son of Joseph, but is the son of God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Third, he is survived by his faithful apostles. Is just wrong. As I said earlier, they all abandoned him. They weren't exactly faithful. So much for Peter never forsaking him. Fourth, on the day before his death, he held a last supper celebrating the Passover feast at which he foretold his death. This too is not accurate. I mean, it is because it happened. But the reality is he had been telling his disciples for a year that he would die by the hands of the religious Jews and the secular Romans. He was telling, this, telling them this long before the Passover meal. Fifth, the body was quickly buried in a stone grave which was donated by Joseph of Arimathea, a loyal friend of the family, by order of Pontius Pilate, a boulder was rolled in front of the tomb, and Roman soldiers were put on guard. That is true, but the problem with that is it gives the impression that his life was over, that that was it. Where's the resurrection? That whole little scenario, this implies he was simply a man who left us a wonderful legacy. But then we discover... The phrase, in lieu of flowers, the family has requested that everyone try to live as Jesus did it. It kind of makes it appear that it's our good works which gets us into heaven and that can't be done. It's impossible. Jesus was holy. Jesus was righteous and Jesus was without sin. We needed him to do what he did in order for us to get into heaven. But the one thing that is obvious that just doesn't belong is the word obituaries. Because there can never be an obituary 
for one who is still alive. Jesus died and rose again to give us real life in Him. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. Even if the obituary had been written on the crucifixion day, the paper would have, would have had to run a retraction on Monday. Here it is. Because of that, we can experience God through any loss that we've ever had and any loss that we will ever go through. Because of that simple statement, there can never be an obituary for one who is still alive. Jesus died and rose again to give us real life in Him. And when we live out our life for Him, we will always experience God through any loss. I'd like to think that because of His resurrection, that we will experience loss better than His disciples did. Because they didn't know what was going on. We have no need to scatter. We have no need to wonder what will happen. Because we know what will happen. Christ has conquered sin. He will return one day and bring us to heaven to celebrate with Him. One last question I have. Will you celebrate with Him in heaven? I can't celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior with you today without knowing that you have been given the opportunity to know without a doubt that you will be in heaven. And if you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, if you haven't confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you to consider that as we come to our response time today. I know you're thinking, well, we're outside. The baptistry is inside. We even have something for you to wear. If you didn't come here today prepared for baptism, we prepared it for you. We've got something you can wear. Everything is set up. There's no excuses. You came today because you wanted to hear a message, and that message is, our Lord and Savior died for you, and He rose on the third day, and He lives. And because He lives, we are here. And because you are here, I want to extend that invitation to you. If you haven't been baptized yet, think on that as we sing this response song, and do just that. Respond.